0: Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title Seventeen.
1: Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. This is our review of Black Panther, starring Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Martin Freeman, Andy Serkis, his crazy arm, and Forrest Whitaker. Directed by Ryan Coogler, released February 2018 on a budget of $200 million. Already grossed $709 million as of this recording, and probably going to top that billion mark. And gotta be like the highest-rated Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to date of the 18 that are out there, right?
2: Yeah, it's it it's definitely at least up there for sure. Uh, I, I think that uh, Avengers might have slightly better critical ratings, uh, but only because it's a Joss Whedon joint. Yeah, um, but
1: Before but we this thing
2: that. is. This thing is making such a ridiculous amount of money.
1: Oh, uh, and kind of built in, knew it was going to, you know? Like, it just, I mean, it, I, all I heard for, a, a you know, in November and December was, ah, oh, nobody's talking about Black Panther. Nobody's talking about Black Panther. It's was like, there's a freaking Star Wars movie out. That's why nobody's talking about Black Panther, okay? And a Star Wars movie, by the way, that made a lot of people mad, we should say, in addition to being a billion dollar, you know, film because people had to go back and make sure they were bad about it. <laughs> so, and I was one of those, I'll say that. And and now, you know, but in January man, the full court press was on. And I mean, I saw this everywhere. I saw tons of trailers for it. And one thing I'll say about the movie from the the outset is they didn't blow too much in the trailers. That's one of the problems in the modern movies nowadays is they'll they give away too much, I think. And this one, like, it really only gave away the the goofy car commercial. I mean, the car chase scene uh, that's in it. But other than that, it it kept a lot of things close to the vest. So I mean, we we kind of knew what the story was, but we didn't really know what Michael B. Jordan was going to be doing. And I, from the trailers, would have thought Andy Serkis had a lot bigger role than he does. He's really not in the movie that much. And I would have never known Martin, Martin Freeman was in this movie <laughs> until I saw it.
2: I mean, I, I've seen the trailer that has, like, one Martin Freeman reaction shot, but yeah. you're right. The trailer kept – I mean, they sold it basically on the fact that, hey, this is Black Panther. Go see it. Not yeah. that Marvel really has to do a lot to get people to go out and see their movies, but um, it, it feels like they were just leaning very heavily on this is a black superhero movie with a black director and, and mostly black cast. So, you know, go get woke.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was that. And then there came the critical part of it that was, this is the most important film in the history of black cinema and all of that bullshit and things like it. And I mean, I, I just, anytime somebody says something like that anyway, I'm just too old and cynical. I'm like, whatever, you know, I like, I, I'll just dismiss that almost from the outset. Um, but that, like, hasn't stopped there are people still saying that people i respect by the way their opinions still saying this stuff and i'm like man it's it's not i mean this isn't the retelling of the civil rights movement or something like that in fact if anything it's it there's part of this movie and a uh the protagonists in this movie proclaim to believe things that the more likely than not a lot of the critics would think are evil
2: yes um yeah, uh, a lot of the politics, especially at the beginning of the movie, a lot of Wakandan politics is very much uh, from the alt right playbook, to put it as yeah. delicately as possible to avoid being yelled at on Twitter.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is I, it, now. There's a there's a change and there's an arc to it, and and we'll get into all of that. But I just think it was funny, and what what it let me know is what I've known for years anyway. A lot of critics won't even watch stuff. And then they just put, you know, labels on it. And then the ones that do actually watch it and give it an eye. I mean, there's some of them that said, y'all are taking this way too seriously. (laughs) You know, and I'm with you, man. It's a Marvel movie. At this point, those things just print money. I mean, they're like Disney animated movies. I mean, they really are. I I, I can't think of the last one that just tanked, you know, probably The Incredible Hulk. And that still made a ton of money. Everybody just hated it because everybody hates Edward Norton because it's like a pastime now to do so and has been for over a decade, but, you know, the rest of them, like, even Iron Man 2, which basically had half a script that never got finished, and they just made it anyway and put it out, made a ton of money, and people loved that movie, uh, for, you know, and it's not great, and, and Iron Man 3, which is a Shane Black mess, you know, uh, it was Robert Downey Jr. basically saying, pay me or I'm gonna leave, you know, I mean, that was the whole film, uh, those, those made money like crazy, and they got critical acclaim, so it's, it's, funny to see one that just you know automatically built it in and had a ton of it going for it and then to actually go and experience it was another thing you know um i waited a couple of days after it released to go see it and i saw it in a mostly full theater um and I, you know at it was one of those kind of movies that I thought this one's going to get a lot of people to like, you know, laugh and, and react in the theater. And I like that sometimes. And it had a lot of moments, but not as much as I expected. And I'm not talking about like people talking at the screen, like stereotypically. I'm talking about just, you know, audience reaction. There's three or four moments that we all laughed at. And we all went, ooh, at, but anymore nowadays, man, these action spectacles, it's like we've seen them too many times, right?
2: Yeah, and you're not yeah, and you're not dealing with like a character who's going to be funny. Like T'Challa does not have a sense of humor at all. <laughs> no, T'Challa does not crack jokes. Uh, you know, Denai Guerrero does all the comedy heavy lifting. Uh Michael B Jordan has most of the jokes in the movie and he's the bad guy? Yeah. Well, um,
1: is he the bad guy? though? maybe he's <laughs> right. Yes, that's can, what they try to do, right?
2: We can get into that debate later. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, it's it I expected it to be more uh, like that too. I saw it uh, after opening weekend. I went to go see it on I think a Monday. Yeah, was it a Monday or a Tuesday? Uh, anyway, cool. I went to I went to see it on like the day we were supposed to record but then we had to push it back because the theater I was going to go see it in had sold out the Tuesday showings and the Wednesday showings in the time that I could go see it. So I had to see it literally two days after I wanted to see it, which was a week after it had come out, which is amazing. And when wow. I did see, it, and when I did see it on Thursday, that screening was also show was also sold out because a local school bought brought a an entire class of kids, like 31 kids, in to see the movie.
1: Can I just tell you right now, like I've heard stories about that, and I think like one of the Carolina Panthers players did that in Charlotte, and I, was, I think that is awesome. I am so glad that the black community has embraced this thing. Um, it, you know, even if it's not, you know, again, this transcendental piece of, of, of cinema, because it's not, it's just a it's a big action movie. But it's, it's, Something that, again, you don't see a lot of, and they really have come out for it. I I think that's awesome. I think it's great that people want to, you know, bring the kids and watch this or whatever. The funny thing about, like, bringing kids to this, because there were a lot of kids in the theater when I was watching, there were some of them sitting, like, on my road that were going, I don't get it. Like, I don't think the politics, like, land on them at all. Like, I don't think they understand half of what the antagonist's plight is in this movie. They just know big, black, shiny things, and I'm talking about the suit, and, like, all the tech, and vibranium, and ooh-ah, you know?
2: Yeah, I don't know how much of the politics got through to the kids either, uh, but, like, people laughed at the laugh line. Like, the kids laughed at the laugh line, so they got Mm -hmm. the jokes, if nothing else. Um and they were all super excited to see Black Panther and it was actually weirdly enough it's probably the most well behaved uh movie showing I've seen in this particular theater
1: yeah uh I, I mean maybe, I've seen Rout maybe your because we swapped like at a Halloween maybe. sequel I mean like really it yeah. was kind of tame I was a little surprised like for anybody I just thought I mean I you know I'll admit now I've seen all the Twilight movies in the theaters and there was a lot more noise than that thing. Oh yeah! This all the girls were—you couldn't shut them up, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw um, the, the first two Twilight movies in the movie theater for uh, to review for Den of Geek. Oh, yeah, uh,
1: research purposes. Yeah, well, I, I went. I went with my wife willingly. I admit that. I <laughs> have admitted that on this show.
2: <laughs> and you should be very embarrassed that you've done that, but I understand.
1: (laughs) I make no bones about the fact that I gave a lot of passes in that series.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's interesting that, that uh, to me, it's, you're right. It is a big kind of dumb action. It's well, it's not a dumb action movie. It's kind of a smart action movie, Mm -hmm. but it's a big action movie. It, Part of it is couched as like a James Bond flick. Yes, uh, which was pretty impressive.
1: By the way, uh, can, can I just go ahead and say now that's when they use the Weekend Ken and La, Kendrick Lamar song is in the the James Bond casino scene, and I now demand that the Weekend sing the next James Bond song. I don't care who directs the movie. Like, yeah, do, um, like the, he he needs to do a Bond theme. Like that would be awesome.
2: So. Yeah, that 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 was another thing that the use of the music was was great. We're already discussing the movie, and we haven't even gone through the plot. Sorry.
1: No, not at all. I, you know, hey, I mean, since we we follow the rules, this movie doesn't. So, Or it does, but it doesn't. So, I mean, I'll say this now. Like, I had no, if there was not a Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't know that I would have known Black Panther existed. You know? Oh, like,
2: I, I, yeah. I knew Black Panther from, I was, I knew Black Panther from, like, appearances in the comic books, but, like, the fact that, they made a two hundred million dollar Black Panther movie. Amazes me, and Mar- the, the Marvel Marvel as a film studio has taken like B list properties, the properties that weren't good enough to sell to twentieth century Fox or Sony, and they've turned them into billion dollar movie franchises. It's it's insane.
1: Which have now bought things that Sony owns, Spider Man. You know, in particular, X-Men that Fox had, you know I mean? Yeah, they, yeah they've reacquired the bigger pieces that got away <clears throat> by playing the hits with the B-Level. You know, well, everybody talks about it when that first Iron Man came out, right? It's like, who the heck is Iron Man? He's kind of like a knockoff Batman, you know? And then all of a sudden, you get the right actor, R.D.J., and everything goes and the next thing you know, it's, it, you know, you're, you're sitting on top of billions of dollars and 18 movies later with, I don't know, five more coming this year, it looks like. Yeah, at least. I mean, that's the thing. It's just like, you know, I would, I would say I get sick of these Marvel movies, but there's one every five months. So I really don't have time to, it's like, eh, they come out and then there's another one.
2: So, well, that's, that's actually one of the smartest things I think Marvel has done and you get, like the movie is a marvel movie for sure like they all have a same similar kind of feel but they work other genres into the fabric of the marvel movie uh, mm-hmm. which is i think what the secret recipe is cuz you this this literally half of this is like a james bond flick and half of it is like a cyberpunk movie and half of it is like um that's Zulu, uh, the the Zulu movie from the 70s because you've got all that, those great scenes of, like, tribal warfare between, you know, these various groups. But they're also fighting with super high-tech weapons that just happen to look like spears and clubs but also shoot lasers.
1: Should also be mentioned that there's a, there's a lot of Tom Clancy cloud hanging on this movie, too, like his influence. Not only just oh, the cinematic catch. Jack Ryan but, like, the written stuff, like – like Martin Freeman is a character I'm pretty sure he probably created somewhere along the way.
2: <laughs> it it definitely does you do get some of that Tom Clancy and now I want a Marvel Jack Ryan type movie. <laughs> it
1: can't be any worse than the last two things they've done.
2: So. No, it'll be it'll be way better than the last two jack ryan movies or the tv show for that matter Yeah, that
1: tv show looks awful on amazon i'm just gonna say i'm not uh i'm not feeling that that does not look uh good at all
2: um, maybe we can do that with the or maybe marvel can do that with the black widow movie that they're gonna have to make
1: th- you know that would be good but like you hawkeye need like he doesn't need his own movie but he needs like a decent role in that uh, maybe just because i want jeremy renner to get good work but because he's really good in those Mission Impossible movies. That's another thing too. The the more recent Mission Impossible movies, like everything from four onward, Ghost Protocol and all that, I, I, that's heavy in this movie too. Like you can feel it.
2: Yeah, but uh, it it is. I think it is a little more noteworthy than you're giving it credit for because this is like Black Panther is a C list superhero.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't have known who he was if it weren't for the MCU. You said you knew him from the comics. I was not a Marvel comic guy at all. I didn't really know this character existed until I heard people talking about it, and then he showed up in uh Cap Civil War, and which this movie basically picks up right after, and – um, I, I wouldn't have known anything about him. So the fact that they've taken something that is, again, very niche and very minor and made a $200 million movie out of it, just shows you the kind of house money, one, Marvel is playing with, and two, the fact that I think they know their audience, Ron. I think they know how to give them exactly what they want and give it just enough of a twist to make it different so that you don't know that slice zero is the same thing as slice.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good point, and they gotta know how popular these characters are, like how they have a built-in audience of kids who love Iron Man and the Hulk and all these. Like my nephew among them has like mm-hmm. a Iron Man and a Hulk, and he loves the Hulk. And you know this, they gotta realize that there's gonna be some crossover, and by slipping by by putting Black Panther in to uh, one of the more established uh, franchises, it's a great you get a you get the introduction all the introduction you need for Black Panther out of the way yeah and i you mean you can just jump right into a self-contained movie that is refreshingly small in scope mm-hmm. this is like this flicks about the internal politics of an african country that's you know the size of west virginia
1: that also doesn't exist. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's very small. That's the thing about this huge action movie, is how small it all really plays. But the best ones always do. I mean, really, the best movies convince you that they're this huge thing, and they're really kind of small. You know, I mean, think about, like, um a movie like uh the original Star Wars, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. a small movie. It's about a spaceship, a desert planet, and a moon that'll blow you away. I mean, it's really kind of it, you know, it's the whole galaxy, but it's really just about this one family with all of its dysfunction playing out in the universe. And that's, that's the, the beauty of it, right? Is that it's, it looks grand in scope, but its simplicity is, is the strength of it. And, they did the introduction for this character. That's the smart thing that, that Marvel has figured out is we're going to make a movie about a character, but to do that, we're going to introduce them in another movie so that we can get the backstory out of the way. So we don't have to do origin story after origin story all the time. We kind of told you that. And then we can just pick up and make a movie.
2: Yeah. And it where it works so well that way. Um, to okay. the point, to the point where I'm excited to see who they're going to just re- have randomly show up. In the next, uh, you know, standalone Marvel movie.
1: Well, I mean, it, uh, if you believe what we've seen from the trailers of Avengers: Infinity War, everybody's going to Wakanda. Everybody so based on what i saw so i you know I, I definitely cap and uh and his buddy uh bucky but we'll get to that i guess we do need to get to a plot summary though ron right it's time to to summarize if you haven't seen this then somehow you're listening to this at spoilers um but uh we're gonna try to summarize this there's a lot that goes on in this one i'm just gonna try to cut the through line here so Following the death of his father, Prince T'Challa returns to the hidden fortress African nation of Wakanda to take his rightful throne. He survives a fight-to-the-death style challenge from a mountain tribe of Wakandans who don't revel in the technical marvel of the nation's supply of vibranium. And just when things you know look like they're fine, the sins of the father come to pay a visit. You see, T'Chaka, his father, dispatched sleeper cell agents all over the world, uh, for research purposes. That's not really ever established. Uh, but one of them in Oakland, California, played by the wonderful Sterling K. Brown, um, decides he's had enough of watching, uh, dark skinned people be oppressed. So he's going to arm them with vibranium weapons and even release some vibranium to Ulysses Claw, who'll show up later, um, to overthrow what he sees as oppressive regimes. Of course, um, that agent is killed by Tachaka. Turns out that was his brother. But uh, the guy has a son named Eric who knows of his Wakandan heritage, even though he grows up in Oakland, California. And he grows up to be like a Navy SEAL slash CIA agent. This is the Tom Clancy part. Used to dispatch dictators and terrorists worldwide. So Eric, or warmonger as he likes to call himself, teams up with Ulysses Claw, Andy Circus. And challenges for the throne. Cause basically he uses Claw to get close to Wakanda and takes out Claw, but then he gets to Wakanda and he says, Hey, no, that's my throne dog. In almost exact those words. And in a fight, he throws T'Challa off a cliff and starts his plan to arm all the dark skinned people worldwide to overthrow the majority races in power around them. T'Challa's not dead, though. Uh, he's rescued by the Mountain Tribe, his sister, mother, the CIA lead, played by Martin Freeman, and a spy that he loves. And they repower him with the magic flower thing that I think we'll talk about. And he goes after Warmonger. And this leads to a huge battle between everybody in Wakanda, who's now all of a sudden just loyal to the new king. He's been there like a day, but, you know, Daniel Colugia well, decides they're... to take up with him. <laughs> so, and... We'll get into that. Yeah. And then those still loyal to T'Challa. Uh, a lot happens, but those closest to T'Challa win and he vanquishes Eric warmonger, uh, in a fight on a magnetic subway type thing. Um, and Eric tells him he'd rather die than go to prison for his crimes. So T'Challa lets him die while seeing a Wakanda in sunset for the first and only time. Then T'Challa takes uh, Eric's message to heart, though, but instead of you know bringing up a war to people and arming them, he decides to share the wealth and resources of Wakanda with impoverished places and starts in Oakland, California instead of his own continent for some reason. And then there's a couple of stingers where he talks in front of uh, United Nations and some old white guy asks, what good can you do? And he gives you a bunch of sheep herders and he smiles. And then we see the real stinger where the Winter Soldier is reprimanded programmed or something by T'Challa's sister and seems to be good. And then Kendrick Lamar plays in the credits role and we just move toward Infinity War. And that's pretty much it.
2: Yeah. And we set up the, the the real reason that Infinity War is going to take place in Wakanda. Bucky, the known international terrorist, Bucky Barnes is hanging out Yeah, and not having an arm.
1: Right. Yeah. Which, which we knew he was anyway, because he, Asked to be put on ice at the end of the cat movie, Civil War. If you've forgotten that, and I had forgotten that, so <laughs> I was like, "Why is he there?" Oh, that's right. So, uh, but the internet helped me remember, and that's that's why it's here. The internet is here for. Complaining about George Lucas and reminding me what I didn't see in a Marvel film. Uh, so, But anyway, so yeah, there's a lot that goes on in this, and I'm sure we'll get into a chunk of it, and we'll probably miss pieces of it. But I think we've got the broad strokes there. Well, I want to say the opening of this movie, though, man, I really love like, the sand, metallic sand art stuff that sort of tells the history of Wakanda and how mm-hmm. the vibranium came to be and all of it. Like, it sets up the whole world, right? Because we've had T'Challa's... Backstory sort of laid out for us. We've had his origin sort of set up. We know how you know how and why he's gonna be king and everything. But what we don't know is anything about Wakanda. And so they spend like three minutes at the beginning going, "Well, here's Wakanda." And I'm like, "Yo, that was really smart. It was a good world building scene. I I dug the animation and all of it. It it looked cool.
2: It was uh, one of the best uh, or uh, one of the most efficient world building opening credit sequences since." Uh, for all its flaws, the Watchmen movie. The Watchmen yes. movie, we did a great job at this, and Black Panther does a great job at this. Plus, it looks really cool.
1: Oh, it looks awesome. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, back in the old days, you know, when I was growing up and stuff, like, you'd just get, like, a title card on the screen. And then Conan the Barbarian came along, and I got Mako to read it to me. Which I thought was awesome <laughs> before that great uh, uh, soundtrack kicked in, but now you get to show, right? Like you know, you know, you got to show, and so I, I again, I really dug it, and I'm with you. That opening to watch, but I know people hate on that movie. That movie's fine. I mean, the third act kind of falls apart, but everything else in that movie's fine. But that opening is fantastic. That opening is perfect. And this one is just about the same. Like, it, it sets up everything I need to know. There's the people that go to the mountain. We're going to see them twice later. Okay, pay attention to that. Everybody else, woo, vibranium. And, like, we set up the purple flower. The Black Panther gets his powers from it. How it all happened. And that's kind of it. And, it. and you know what? It's just enough to set the scene, but not too much to bore me.
2: Yeah, it, it's really efficiently done. Uh, it's easy to understand. Uh, even if you don't necessarily pay attention to the talking, you get it from the images yeah. and it, and it does a great job of even setting up the internal politics of Wakanda as to why they have things like this, uh, ritual combat challenge for those of Royal blood. Um, why they've got this tribe of people who just hang out in the mountains and don't aren't all in on the black Panther thing and why they have the other four tribes, why everybody has a completely different style of dress than everybody else. Uh,
1: it also sets up the fact that they decided to isolate themselves from everything around them, including their own continent for you know thousands of years. And this is also a prickly part of the story, I think, because it gets thrown in their face often by the antagonist that, Where's Wakanda been when we were doing this? Where was Wakanda in slavery? Where was Wakanda in World War Two? Where was Wakanda in the L.A. riots? Where was you know where was Wakanda? And the answer was Wakanda was minding their own damn business <laughs> and had no desire. And even Kaluja even says once before he makes the turn to the other dark side for some reason, uh, says if you let the outside in, then Wakanda is just like everywhere else. And I'm going, holy cow, am I listening to Alex Jones?
2: No, because Vibranium doesn't make frogs gay. <laughs> it's but, making the
1: frogs gay! <laughs> if y'all don't know what we're talking about, by the way, go YouTube that. You're welcome for that laugh. But, <laughs> but gonna he practically make, says We're going to
2: make Wakanda We're going to make Wakanda the best. Wakanda's going to be great. It's the president king to Chuck to Chuck. uh, uh, I've won all of the challenges.
1: That old man, by the way, that I wanted to see a shot of that old man beating anybody down at any point in his life. Even the 1990 something version. I'm like, no, (laughs) that dude does not look like the rest of these people. Well, to and be by fair, these he... people, I mean jacked and ripped and, you know, <laughs> just set to, you know, built like rocks. He looks like, you know, a dude that works at the bank. But to be fair, he
2: might have been ripped when he was a young guy.
1: We saw and him in 1992. He wasn't he wasn't. ripped. Well, we don't see actual him,
2: though. Look at him. He's in the ghost in the darkness. This is he's true. one of the guys of <laughs> the ghost of the darkness. So he's pretty, <laughs> you know, at least he was physically fit. Plus, he's got the magic of the purple drink.
1: That's <laughs> oh, we're gonna get to the magic of the purple drink, but but I do like we you know we get this whole thing as they're basically gonna pose as a third world country so that they can be left alone because who cares, right? It's just another hole that you fly over, right? And that's their whole like that's their security too, is that you don't really pay any attention to it. And then we go to 1992, Oakland, California, and I'm like, wow, I d- I did not know we were gonna be doing this. And then I get, I get what I think is one of the, one of the best kept secrets about this was that Sterling K. Brown had a cameo in it or an extended cameo, if you will, in this. And I, you look, I, I don't watch this is us, but I watched every second of the people versus OJ Simpson. And as someone who followed that case for years and I read and listened to Darden and stuff, he had Chris Darden down. And it's one of the yes. greatest performances ever. It's just a great actor. And he gives, I mean, he's in kind of a, you know, it's a small role here, but he really gives it something. I, I dug this and I dug the whole idea that like he set up as like him and his, I think him and his boy are like going to rob a bank or do a heist from Payday 2 or Grand Theft Auto or something, right? Like they're trying to do something. They got the kids, matchbox cars. This is where the van's going to go. And yeah,
2: they're, they're, they're planning a bank heist.
1: That's what it's okay, yeah, and because it's going to fund whatever you know they're about to lead, and then the the ladies with spears show up outside the door. And that's, I mean, it's just okay. see Grace Jones looking. It's, yeah, and then when they walk in, I was like, oh yeah, they really do look like Grace Jones. And part of me was like, Grace is still alive and looks great. Y'all couldn't have cameoed her in this somewhere? Come on.
2: They gotta they gotta save something for Black Panther two, or <laughs> more likely, they gotta. She's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy three. That's Because she's she is clearly from space, <laughs> she's from space Africa.
1: <laughs> That's what this place whatever. is though. This place is kind of like Bizarro or um, Upside Down World Africa. Is Wakanda? It's
2: Wakanda is like Wakanda is basically a city from an anime, just with black people instead of you know Japanese people or or weirdly white. Japanese people.
1: Do you know the first thing that passed in my head? The when they, they do the overhead shot. We'll come back to Oakland in '92 in a second. But th- when I saw that, I literally my head. I thought, oh, it's what the last Airbender could have been if M Night Shyamalan didn't suck.
2: Nice. So I mean, see, I really, was I was thinking it's that live action Akira that they've been threatening to do forever.
1: Oh, they'll never get that made. <laughs> so, but but just, hopefully not. Yeah, probably not. But anyway, back to '92. We see. Ch- Tachaka, uh, the guy's name is Nijobu, is that right? Um, I, yes. I missed on all that, and it doesn't matter because we know that he's his brother, and they all have this weird, like, glowing tattoo on their bottom lips. That was all never explained, and I don't understand. It's that a, much.
2: it's a, it's like a vibranium ink tattoo.
1: That's what that is. Okay, that makes total sense then. So you know, he he's like, you need to come back and talk to the council. And then he pulls a nine millimeter on him and gets black Panther clawed in the chest. And that's it. So he kills his own brother and they just leave the kid there. But here's the thing I was going to ask you. I didn't know that was his kid. I just thought it was a kid seeing space aliens. And I didn't put it together until they do the flashback later that, Oh, that's Michael B. Jordan as a kid.
0: Oh,
2: I, I didn't either. But I think that that's the point. I think the point is, Wakanda didn't know about this kid. That's why they left him behind in Oakland.
1: Well, you know what? That would have been great in in Fever Dream later when he's being asked to go to Wakanda Heaven and he tells his father, hey, why don't you leave that kid there? And the father's just like, "Ah, oh, we made decisions. We had to do what we had to do. I kind of took it that he did know and he was like, no, we ain't bringing that problem with us and just left it. Like, like They play it as if T'Chaka was a real ass for doing this. When I'm with you, I'm like, well, did he even know? We don't even know who the boy's mother is. We know nothing about any of this. And by the way, his partner that goes back with him turns out to be Forrest Whitaker later. He didn't tell anybody about that? Surely he knew.
2: Yeah, you would – maybe you're right. Maybe I missed something uh, in the the flick where they kind of explained it a little bit better. But maybe T'Chaka was just a jerk. Maybe he was like, no, this kid wasn't born in Wakanda. He's not a Wakandan.
1: Okay, well, see, here's the thing. Like – It would have been, it's fine either way how you want to play it. This movie's two hours and 15 minutes long. It's got plenty in it. It didn't need five more minutes of anything but it could have used 10 seconds of something. And that, I want to say that that's going to be like a consistent theme with me throughout this movie is that it does a lot of good things, but then it just sort of leaves this other thing out here. And you're just like, yeah, just go with it. And I'm like, no, cause it's trying to play smart. And if the movie wants to be a big, dumb action movie, then it doesn't play smart. It does guardians of the galaxy. And we just have a good time. And we listen to bad seventies music. Right. But that's not what this movie wants to be. This movie wants to be smart. So you can't leave dangling threads like this. And then expect me to, call you smart that's that's the sign of of something that's not well edited or put together it's in a hurry yeah,
2: but uh, I mean maybe that is like a I like I have no doubt that Ryan Coogler turned in a three hour cut of this movie and oh, they sure. had to <laughs> reduce it so I guarantee you a lot of the stuff ended up on the floor um, but what what we do get though is like I mean T'Chaka left his body, left his corpse behind. Like he killed his brother, and he just left the body in Oakland. Yeah, he didn't even bring him home for like a proper burial.
1: Which, which automatically then goes to why I think they were playing it as he is just so cold because he's, you know, has to be on the throne. He's so objective that he just cuts himself off from all kinds of other affection and and any kind of other relations. And that would have played even even stronger into what happens in the movie. I'm just, what I'm saying is like, it works fine as it is. It just could, it could have been stronger if they'd have just gone with it. Like, go ahead and let him be an asshole. I'm fine with that. Cause he's played like one anyway. And we, the son basically tells him you're wrong and reverses all kinds of policy for thousands of years of tradition because of it. So it's not like this guy is someone we should revere.
2: Right. He, he, But I do appreciate that he's not a straight-up bad guy and he's not a straight-up good guy. It's a rare – it's one of the many rare shades of gray that you're going to get in this movie because he is – he's kind of back and forth. But when Killmonger makes his argument about why Wakanda needs to be a part of the world, it's really persuasive.
1: Oh no, it's completely persuasive. It's his methods that I have questions with, and that anybody could question. That's the, you know, you say this movie is real black and white. I think it it on the on the surface wants to say there's this black and white kind of thing happening, and by that I mean like there's one side and the other. It's not you know we've got to be careful of the racial politics there with that, but it, it's it's really much more gray this movie is a lot of gray everybody in it is very very gray i mean think about it like uh nikia the spy who used to be t'challa's main squeeze back in high school when he was on the wakanda team you know and they were friends or whatever they broke up but he goes and like extracts her from some jungle insertion things she's doing because he wants her to be there for the coronation like come to my birthday party basically Right. Yeah. And yeah. Which is, it's funny. I mean, cause it's a great scene and she you know, she gets to really show off and do some cool stuff. And we get to see Okoye do some things. That's his, uh, guard leader with the, the bald head, the Grace Jones, you know, who gets great lines in the casino with that wig in a bit. But you know, we, we go and get her out of the jungle to do that. Um, along with his, we will get to see his younger sister. And what I realize immediately is that, you know, everybody here has roles that they want to play and stuff, but they they all have, they're all malleable, like they can change as they need to for the moment. Except T'Challa, he wants to be his father so badly, yet he completely disagrees with a lot of his father's notions, even before he learns that he should. Like, this movie plays a lot of grays. I think Nakia is really the evidence of that, is she's, you know, she cares for him, she really does, but... She wants to be part of the cause, and she's also one that sees like we could be doing a lot more than what we do. We don't have to arm everybody, but we could be doing something besides sitting inside all this vibranium wealth that we have.
2: Well, pretty much everybody has a, a, a some kind of internal debate that they're going under, like they're going through. Uh, you've got the more obvious ones like Nakia. You've got the one that Okoye has later where she has to decide whether she's going to be loyal to – T'Challa, or loyal to the throne like she's always been. Right. Uh, you get the same thing played out with Wakabi. That's the Daniel Kaluuya character. You get, you see those two have a disagreement because uh, Okoye and Wakabi are a married couple.
1: On yeah. and they end up on that's different a, sides a, of the political a, argument. That's a uh, yeah. That's a that's a that's gonna be a strange day at dinner right there. So, Daniel Kaluuya just keeps getting in difficult family situations, man. let <laughs> get out. I feel for the guy. And then you've got even
2: like Shuri is torn between uh, the role that she has to play, which is the traditional Wakandan princess, and the role that she wants to play, which is to be Q. Uh,
1: she wants wh- to be Q in James Bond movies. That's what I was going to say.
2: She wants to be Tony Stark because, like, all the Wakandan tel- technology looks exactly like Stark tech.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Except it's got like a, some flourishes. Yet yeah, they still wear like traditional like tribal garb to do. I mean, uh, it's it's a strange mix of things happening here. It's, well, she does
2: complain about the uh, the corset that she has to wear. <laughs> yeah, she does.
1: She's like, can we get on with it, please? Yeah, she's very much the millennial in, in the group. Like, can we just get on with this? And actually, I think that's Ryan Coogler throwing a bone to the younger part of the audience that has no time for any of this. He's like, don't pick up your phone. She knows it's dumb, too. We just have to do it. You know, it's yeah. just part of it, you know.
2: And even like Mbaku later on, who I don't know Winston Duke from anything, but
1: that's he, a big dude, though.
2: <laughs> he was like the he was like the standout of the movie for me. Like between him and and uh, Letitia Wright who plays Shuri, that they, they, those two were my two favorite characters in the movie.
1: Oh, Letitia Wright's awesome in, in this as Shuri. She's so so fun, and uh, but you know the the Mbaku guy that you are talking about from the Jabari, the Mountain Tribe, or whatever. That's a big looking dude. But, and and Chadwick Boseman is not a big man. I mean, he's, he's more than average bill, but he's not, I mean, he's kind of ripped in this movie, but he's not a big dude. This is a legitimately large person you know, in front of you. Yeah. And I mean, the way they go about it, the, you know, that he could beat him down. Like I, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. So I'm sitting here going like, this would be like if Finn Balor ever could really take out Braun Strowman, you know, which like they will try <laughs> to co- convince me could happen. And then I'm like that. That's not no, there's no way. It was like, that little man would be dead in, in two minutes. Uh, but, you know, it's fun to think about. And they do have a fun little ritual combat thing. I love how he makes him tap out to the triangle choke too. He's like, I'm not going to kill you. Chap out. Which by the way, I love Chadwick Boseman. He's a great actor. He sucks for that accent. That is so awful. I I know he has to do it because it's part of the character, but it would be almost better if like, he's like, I'm going to talk like an American because it'll make me fit in better. (laughs) And he just, just goes with it because he's, it slips in and out so much. It's, it's, and I feel for him because he can't really do it. He's bad at it.
2: It's a hard accent. I mean, other people do it better in the movie uh, like Sterling K. Brown handles it really well I thought oh, yeah when he immediately drops his English uh, his American accent to start talking in his Wakandan accent he he does a great job handling that one uh, but he he's got so many lines and you have to like you you pay attention to Black Panther cuz he is the hero of your movie you have to like watch Black Panther you have to listen to Black Panther so he's getting the the 100% of the audience's focus at all times when he's on screen
1: it also hurts the actor. Like that's the thing. Like Robert Downey Jr. getting to play Iron Man, or really getting to play Tony Stark, is just being Robert Downey Jr. He's just kind of riffing and having fun, and you know he's doing that whole like don't put this on your MySpace page and all. Like I remember all these things, right? Like don't throw the peace sign. Go and throw it. You know, I'm like that's just him being him. He can just be himself. Poor Chadwick Boseman's got to affect this accent, and he has to act like he has no emotions whatsoever. When we know he does, because it's all over his friggin' face. He can't hide them.
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's really that's in just his, a...
1: it's really in his eyes, too. Like, I OK, I, I've seen him in kind of a B movie called Draft Day, where he plays this linebacker prospect that Kevin Costner is trying to or may draft or not or whatever. I won't spoil it for you. He's I good at that. that. It's, I
2: reviewed that movie for Den of Geek. Yeah, he's really good in that. Yeah,
1: he's really good at it, but his emotions are in his face. Like, he does this whole scene when he finally does get drafted, and the look on his face is like, man, it's very real. Like, it, that, that's how this guy acts. It's how he emotes. It's how we all do, really. But he's really good at it. But you have to take – it's like you strip that away from him. And I, I feel bad for him because he does a heck of a job with it, but it's just hard. It's hard to get through as much dialogue as he has and not slip that accent.
2: And 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 when he's unmasked, I think it it it's really effective. Like, to me, the best scenes in this movie, or at least the, the scenes that resonated the most for me emotionally, were the Wakandan acid trip flashbacks.
1: Yes, let's talk about those because, like, when he becomes Black Panther, or when anybody becomes king in Black Panther, they they feed you the 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 purple drink of the purple flower. I mean, let's just call it out. That's what it is. It's silly, but it, it it's from the comics. But it's you know. I, I, mean, I was sitting there going, I was like Little Wayne Black Panther. You, know I mean? so <laughs> so if
2: you the- sip on some lean, then you have a seizure <laughs> and they bury you.
1: I mean yeah, they bury you in like some red sand or snow or whatever's nearby, and then you you trip the light fantastic until you wake up in her king. But like you I think you're supposed to like connect to your elders, is that's the idea?
2: Yeah, you're connecting to your yeah, your past. And you're I, connecting to, like, the past.
1: I mean, like, in in Christianity, baptism is you you, you bury yourself in water and you rise up again as, as symbolic of Christ dying and rising from the grave, right? That's what that is. is. That's what that, that uh, act is. And this is kind of the same thing, but, like, you mix in, again, the acid trip. Which is, I mean, it was really, like, trippy. Like, I was waiting on, like, some Hammond V3 organ to start playing and, and in a God of DeVita or something, man. I mean, it was weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, Ken, Ken Kesey's going to show up. Uh, the guys from Easy Rider are going to ride by.
1: Some, something. We're going to have a worm with, like, a Freddy hat and a Jason machete. Go, hi, how are you doing today, kids? You know, something. Like, you got, like, random. A rabbit's going to talk to you. Yeah. Hunter and Thompson's
2: going to be there <laughs> snorting. Powder off a flea.
1: There, there, you go. You got that, and telling you how you know it's all the government's fault. Exactly. That's what that's what I needed. But no, you just kind of go to the Wonderland or Alice in Wonderland um, uh, forest and talk to your dad wearing a toga.
2: Well, that was the thing when it was T'Challa. He goes to a uh, a pre vibranium version of Wakanda, right. And he's connected to all of the Black Panthers that were before it. When it's Killmonger, he sees his dad. He goes back to Oakland because he has absolutely no connection to Africa.
1: Right. He, go, he goes to his dad's apartment and he goes to the place where he found the Wakandan journals, where he kind of discovered who he was and where he was from. So that's why I said in the plot summary, like, he knows of his Wakandan origins. He just has never seen it. He even has lines where he talks about, I hear it's the greatest sunsets ever. And that's why he gets to see one before he dies. You know, because we have to pay that off. But yeah, he, I guess you go to what you know as your formative place.
2: You go to your. You go to your ancestry. You go to it. What it is? It's it's a giant, uh, basically, uh, the African diaspora story. You go okay. to your homeland. And Chadwick Boseman or T'Challa has Wakanda. He grew up there. He knows everything about it. You know, he's seen that Wakandan sunset a million times. Killmonger has no origin. Killmonger only knows Oakland. Right. Killmonger, Killmonger has no real concept of his, his heritage, what it means to be Wakandan, what it means to even be from the continent of Africa because all he's got is those books and the ring.
1: Can we talk about like how smart he is? Not just as a character, but like the, the, what we're to believe about this guy is that he grows up, he graduates from the Naval Academy at age 19, which means he accelerates in school at an incredible rate. By the way, they don't let you in the military academies early, okay? They just—they did back in the day. They don't do that anymore. And by back in the day, I mean like the 18 and early 1900s. They don't do that anymore, all right? So he does that. So that's a world-class Ivy League education. He, he's in the Navy SEALs, all right? So the guy's jacked. He's ripped. I mean, Michael B. Jordan's not a big dude either, but he can play muscle. I've seen him play. You know, he's in Creed. I remember him from Friday Night Lights. He was great in that that show. When I first saw him, so you can play an athlete. I mean, he's he's definitely someone who's built, um, and can and can look you know fierce and all that kind of stuff. Even though he's not that big, um, but he does this. He, he's not only a great SEAL, but then he goes to work. Like he gets out of the Navy and goes to work as a CIA operative or like Blackwater, basically. So he's you know he's one of the the secret soldiers of Benghazi. He's one of those types of guys. He's an operator. He goes. Yeah, he's
2: in, in the uh, he's in the Army of Northern Virginia.
1: Yeah, there you go. He's he's there to go and like disrupt governments. He does all of this while maintaining this incredible intellect. And what I'm saying is like th- we're to believe this guy does this because he's so hell bent on revenge against Wakanda that he pushes himself beyond all kinds of other human obstacles. And I'm like, at no time did it ever dawn on this dude. You know what? I got a pretty good life. Maybe I'll just go to work for a Randstad and make about, you know, $900,000 a year and just let it go. But he's so hell bent on revenge that he can't let it go. And I'm like, that's so cheap for a guy that's this smart and has accomplished so much that he's willing to just throw it all away in the name of insurgency.
2: But is it, is it throwing it away or is it, executing a master plan.
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing, is he would tell you it's executing the master plan. I'm telling you, as, again, I'm being academic advisor, guidance counselor here, going like, Eric, you really got a good chance here, man. Don't blow it. Nobody cares Nobody cares about Wakanda. Let it go.
2: But then he goes back to Wakanda, and he becomes a, a god-king superhero.
1: Yeah, that lasts On for top a day, of being- causes a civil war, and he dies from it. That doesn't work out too well.
2: Yeah, but until the part where he died, it was going pretty well.
1: Actually, it wasn't. There's a drop line, and I don't know if you caught it, but I made a note of it. That we're, like he's talking to Kaluya again, and he's going, "Well, the only New York, London, and L.A. are on board, but everybody else will get in line after they see how that goes." And I'm like, "See that point? Plan- not not everybody's on board for mass insurgency. You know, some people are like, maybe that's not the way we should do this. I'm not saying diplomacy pr- you know, cures everything, but blowing everybody to hell doesn't either."
2: Oh, that's a good point.
1: But again, it's every, great; it's in the middle. But,
2: but every insurgency starts has to start somewhere.
1: This is true. I mean, and again, it, and I'm not trying to discount it. I think Eric Look, Stevens warmonger is a great character. Is he the greatest villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I don't know. People have said that he's certainly got the biggest arc of any of them, and he's definitely got a much bigger arc than most, like you know, first movie villains get. And I
2: don't, I don't know if he's the best one, but he's the most interesting one.
1: He's like, got he, the most interesting the one, plight, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, he—he's the one who that I've been who has stuck with me past the movie. Like,
1: can I tell you though? I and I want to tell you, and this is taking nothing away from the script, which is really well done. But I'm putting a lot of that on the fact that they got the right actor for it. The thing that worked about that Creed movie for me, because I went and saw that reluctantly. I was like, I don't know about this. Like, spin-off Rocky movies? Eh, you know, I don't know. I went and saw that, and I was like, Man, this is awesome because they got the right guy to play that. He's got just enough attitude, just enough intellect, and just enough subtlety to pull all that stuff off. And that's what this role is, too. Michael B. Jordan is, I think, what people will remember from this more than the character. I think he he is fantastic in this.
2: Oh, yeah. He's amazing.
1: And he he makes a very interesting point in the way that it makes you stop and go. You know, he's he's not entirely wrong. Maybe the method is wrong. Maybe I don't agree with the let's all arm up and you know go go you know hell bent for leather and and overthrow everybody. But he's also not wrong to go. Where the hell have you all been the last two thousand years? Better yet, where y'all been the last hundred years? You know, you're yeah. sitting on this. And you're just, you're literally sitting on it, you know, doing nothing with it. You don't even want anybody else to have any of it. Captain America got a little bit of it and you lost your friggin' minds. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, really, he's not wrong with that. And that's what he appeals to. And like, I think Nakia is the one that sees it first. He's like, he's not wrong. You know, like he, yeah. we are just sitting and T'Challa's the, again, he wants to be his father so badly, even though I think deep down he knows his father's wrong.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big part of it, I think. Um You're right. Michael B. Jordan is definitely probably the standout, but if you look at this movie's cast list, like it is chock full of great people, even in small roles. I mean Martin Friedman's on the screen, what, fifteen minutes?
1: Yeah, but he's a great role though. Like usually the government like person is it just screws everything up, right? Mm-hmm. And if for once, and outside of a Tom Clancy movie, for yeah. once, the CIA are not incompetent morons. <laughs> you know, he's very cool. He never lets himself get over upset. And you know what? He's also very mission focused, too. There's a point where he's, he's having to shoot down some drones that are taking the weapons away, gobbledygook, whatever. And he's having to fly it from remote. And there's something trying to shoot through the glass to get to him. And he's like, screw it. I'm staying and finishing the job. And I'm like, that's that's exactly what someone like that should do. You just never see him do it.
2: Yeah, exactly. But like, Martin Freeman's great. Uh, we've already talked about Winston Duke and Letitia Wright. They're both great. Daniel Kaluuya's great. Sterling K. Brown. But to me, like, Denai Guerrero to see her, like, be able to do some comedy was a lot of fun. And She's great in that role as kind of the the hard-ass, but Cracking jokes type of character. Yeah, they
1: they go to the the casino in South Korea or whatever, and she's got to wear a wig because of course she's bald and got military tattoos all over her head, and she's like, oh, "I look ridiculous in this thing." And the first chance she gets to throw that off and start kicking people in the face, she's like, "Hell yes!" You know, and I I laughed at that. I mean again, I thought that was funny. That was and yeah, she gets that was the a big comedy. Yeah,
2: that was a big, that was a big, that was a huge laugh line in the theater, uh, especially when she's like scratching. Under the wig,
1: yes, exactly. It's like this is annoying, you know, and it's it's making fun of all of this stuff, you know. But what and, what? And and
2: Angela Bassett. It was great to see Angela Bassett in a movie again.
1: Yeah, you know, I told I totally forgot she was. You're right. Yeah, she's fantastic in this as T'Challa's mother. You know because she's very much somebody who's also has a duty and a role to play. And just is mm-hmm. has to set aside self to do it. And that's the thing, though, is you have all these people that that keep preaching that and living that in front of them. But T'Challa and Eric are two people who cannot set aside themselves to just do their job. Like their personal beliefs and interests and the way that they think that things should go, they, they fight against it. And T'Challa more than Eric, because Eric just acts upon all of it but they refuse to set aside self for the greater good. And that's an interesting thing. Cause usually it's the other way around the leaders trying to always get everybody else to not lose their minds and stuff like that. But it goes from within this time it's from with up everybody below is like, calm down. We got this. Let's not do this. Let's do this, you know, or whatever, where the two leads are both very much driven by their emotions and fighting against them the whole time.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, it's it's interesting to think about how, do you think that um, Killmonger really wanted to destroy the world, or do you think he was just acting out?
1: I think he wanted to destroy the powers that rule the world in and keep minorities oppressed. I firmly believe that because he says it and then he acts upon what he says and he has a plan for it. So does that mean – does that start with Wakanda? Say what?
2: Does that start with Wakanda? Well,
1: it did because he threw out the power that – they're all minority in Wakanda. So what did he have to do? He had to get the majority. He got he got one of the military leaders on his side. He figured the guard would come around because they're tied by Judy. And look how everybody just falls in line too. By the way, can we talk about that? Like this is why you're just following orders is not necessarily a good idea. I'm the new king. Burn that shit down, okay? Then all the purple flowers are gone. I'm like,
2: well, it was damn. it was burn that shit down or I'll kill you.
1: Well, Which, yeah, yeah. Fair, I, mean, I, think, I think his line was, "When I say that shit, I mean it," or something like that. And I'm like, "Okay, I I get it." But every, like everything else starts to fall into place too. Every, you know, ring mouth guy, everybody else, you know, just is like, "Okay, yep, we're there." You know, because I guess they fear him because, well, I mean, he did beat the crap out of T'Challa and throw him off a cliff. So we can't. He did power slam him into no, but nowhere'sville. So we we know that. But I I don't know. Like I I think he honestly because his major first two of his major targets are in America. I think he cares about America. L.A., New York, London's just sort of nearby. You know, I
2: thought it was uh, New York, Tokyo.
1: Maybe it was Tokyo. I thought L.A. got dropped in there somewhere though, because I mean it it would make sense. Because either way,
2: historically the historically three very oppressive societies and very colonialist societies. Cause I mm-hmm. think everyone knows about Japan's activities in world war II, but that was just the beginning. That was just like the end of the Japanese empire. The Japanese did that for hundreds of years.
1: Exactly. So.
2: And uh, we all know the sun never sets on the British empire. And of course, who is the only thing close to a superpower in today's world? the united states
1: exactly right and you go after well you know if superman batman and the avengers haven't done enough to new york let's let's make harlem go crazy so um i mean really like i was i mean that just uh i i I know i know why new york's always the target i'm just like can we let new york get a pass this time like it would have been funny if he said no we're giving new york a pass this time we're going for boston or something like that, you know, just to would have
2: break it. Up. I thought he should have. I thought he should have gone after San Francisco.
1: Yeah, that would like, make sense. Anything in tie back
2: to, What would tie back to the Oakland thing? Plus, right. I mean, if you really want to disrupt the world economy, just go blow up Facebook. just, yeah. just nuke Silicon Valley and Take see how Google quickly
1: out in one week of everybody having to use Bing and we'll all be in you know tethers and and hunger lines. i agree yeah uh,
2: ask jeeves where the nearest bread line is
1: (laughs) i miss ask jeeves (laughs) that was a fun website in 1997 so on my netscape navigator (laughs) browser wow so it would have
2: it would have further tied into yeah like i understand they got to do new york because it's Marvel, and Marvel's headquartered in New York, and that's where all these characters are. <laughs> and again, come.
1: New York hasn't had enough. So let's no, give it they need a they
2: need, uh, 76th sixth <laughs> nine $2 to Andrew <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting how, didn't they even mention, didn't, like, Killmonger yeah. mention nine eleven? Yeah,
1: that's in there, too. I was like, oh, we had to force that in.
2: Like, well, I don't think it's forcing it in. It's just an example of the atrocities, the horrible things that Wakanda has ignored.
1: Right. But, but actually he should be on the side of the people that perpetrated the attacks of nine 11, because they're doing what he wanted to do. They just did. They used our technology against us, wherever they did it for and all that. You know, you can decide on your own, but they should like, he would be on their side. Like what he should have said is you should have helped them guys out. You know, like that would have made his point more. The face like, you didn't help New York out when you know these minorities tried to blow it up. Well, yeah, and that what you want, because that's exactly what he says. It's also the flaw in the plan. And I think like Kaluya kind of sees that, but he just wants some war, you know. But everybody else like sees like you're not wrong in the fact that we probably can't be isolationists anymore. Matter of fact, we can't be that anymore. But we there's a there's another way to do this.
2: But but by the time Wakabi comes around to this, it's he's already in. Like he, it's too late for him to back out, or because this is after Killmonger has the Black Panther magic,
1: right? I mean, again, it, these people sometimes are loyal to the moment at a, at a fault, you know, like. It- I will had moments to back out of that too. When, when the, everything was going down, he went and got his, you know, team of rhinoceroses that are all armored up for reasons, you know, because <laughs> they need because more it looks of cool. Yeah, exactly. Well, it does. Uh, it would look cool if the CGI was rendered better. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but I, he has a moment where he's like, you know what? You're right. Screw this. They could have all turned on the one guy that was co- Like sometimes you just got to take a step back and go, what's causing this problem? And you realize it's one person, you're like, you know what? Go after that. Like, that's that would have been even cooler if everybody turned on Warmonger and then, you know, T'Challa chased him into the subway.
2: But if they had all turned on Warmonger, it would just have been a pile of bodies. Because I, I don't you know, you you pointed out that Michael B. Jordan isn't like the biggest dude on the planet. He's not like a Schwarzenegger looking type of guy. But he definitely fits into that uh that Van Damme kind of role where he's a Fair sleek much, yeah uh, he's a sleek graceful murder machine. He looks like an MMA fighter.
1: Yes, he does. He very much looks like an MMA fighter. He's ripped. He's got all these little bead like tattoos on him. We find out it's that, like, a,
2: scarification.
1: Yeah, he scars himself every time he like kills somebody and I'm like, "Damn." I mean, he's he's covered in them and that's just like I mean, it just leads to to more badassness that he is because he is. I'm, but you're right; he's a sleek, very ninja killing machine. You're right,
2: and that's before he gets, uh, gets, yeah, that, gets into yeah, that lean.
1: Yeah, he got that from the navy. So like, like, that's before they gave him purple drink and a gold suit. You know, <laughs> so, and, uh, and,
2: uh, and, and that's one of the things I appreciate the most about uh Martin Freeman's character, the Everett Ross, when when. Kilmauger shows up and, and they go to Ross. And Ross is like, yeah, this is exactly what he's trained to do. He goes into a small country in, 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 a, in a precarious situation and assumes power. Like this is what the CIA told him to do. This is like straight up school, of the Americas, you know, Iran contra type of stuff. And, and I appreciated that he was just, it wasn't like, Oh God, he's the most dangerous guy in the CIA. You know, it wasn't necessarily like, he was some sort of extra powerful, like an extra CIA, like an extra CIA agent type. Like a, he's not an ER CIA agent. He's a CIA agent. This yeah. is what CIA agents do. Yeah, he was a, 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 he was special forces. He was a Navy SEAL. But most of those CIA guys have a background in the military before they join the CIA, or they're they graduate from an Ivy league institution and join the CIA. So it's kind of like he is just, he is an exceptional CIA agent, but this is what the CIA does. This is, this is all, this is the, this is the kind of, it, it goes back to what he said about using the oppressor's weapons against him by learning what he thinks. And Everett Ross is like, yeah, this is basically our, this is you know our Cuba playbook that we had for fifty years.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what they do. Like, this is this is, and what I think is great about it is he lays all that bare, and it's because they've saved his life. Like, we don't talk about it, but like Clue and uh, they capture him after. Andy Serkis is crazy in this. We got to talk about him because I don't remember him from Ultron at all. I I, I just don't. Um, but I'm told he was like a big, you know, the big one of the big bads in that. <clears throat> and he, they capture him, and Kilmeyer comes and breaks him out with his crew of people. And in the gunplay, Martin Freeman jumps in front of Shuri and like and Nakia and saves their lives. So he takes a bullet right in the spine, and then they use like magic Wakanda technology vibranium to heal him. So he's like, well, I guess since you've shown me yours, I'll show you mine. But I like the fact that he <laughs> that he does it. I mean, I figure that's why he does it. But I also like the fact that he's like – I clearly have nothing to hide from these people. I want them to be on my side. I'm friends with T'Challa. I want this to work. You know, so he just starts laying out stuff. And this is what I mean by your perception is, well, the CIA's, you know, they're just a bunch of secret keepers and thieves and spies. They're not ever going to help you do anything. They're just out for their own. When the truth of the matter is, if you're allies, okay, I'm going to help you because you're helping me. Like, this is what diplomacy brings is if you'll work with us, then we can work together.
2: Yeah, which is uh, which actually goes back to in the beginning of the movie where they or when they first capture Claw and Martin Freeman's like, yeah, give me five minutes with him, but then you know maybe you'll get to ha- maybe you can have him if you if you play ball with me, we'll play ball with you.
1: And that's exactly what they're doing. You play ball with me, I'll play ball with you. And and all that, and so it works out well. It makes his character interesting, though. That's the thing. Is like it could be just a throwaway nothing, and Martin Freeman really brings something to it, and gives it something. Also, great American accent. I, I mean, I I yes. don't know what it is, man. British actors or, or foreign actors can do the American a lot easier than poor Chadwick Boseman having to do fake Wakanda. I mean, it's, I, it just is, must be easier to twist the tongue the other way. The only exception I've ever found of that was James Marsters, who I didn't know was American until after Buffy was long over. So, I mean, because <laughs> he's so good at Spike but and that Cockney British thing. But... Uh, no, I mean, he's, he's really, it makes him interesting. It also makes him useful too. Cause he doesn't just deliver exposition. He actually gets to use stuff and do things. Like we say, he stays in the fight long after he has to, uh, because he cares. Cause he wants to be there. He wants this to work. And he also is one that like, he even says something to T'Challa in that casino thing about like, are you sure you want to get involved in this? Cause this isn't what you do. This isn't how you play. And he's like, maybe you should, but this isn't how you guys do it. So even he's trying to draw them out of their magical shell.
2: Yeah, it's... uh, The the CIA essentially is just another tool for diplomacy. At least in the movie. I don't know. I don't necessarily know how much it works like that in real life. But uh, yeah, it's definitely... um, he even seems to be aware that that uh, Wakanda does need to join the greater world at large. But he wants to make sure that it happens in a way that uh, T'Challa is comfortable
0: with, I think.
1: Well, uh, and that's the thing is – and what no one real, I want everyone has to realize is, Chichala going to have to come up with this on his own, and he does through his own personal growth. He does basically by almost dying. You know that's his personal growth journey. I was about to say he doesn't—he doesn't go to an, a Tony Robbins, you know, workshop or go in a sweatbox for a few hours with a Scientologist, I and mean, he he has to nearly die and go trip the light fantastic again and then learn, you know, the truth. And the thing—he confronts his father with the ugly truth. And this is—I mean—that I mean again, the, the symbolism of this is is obvious. It's that you can love and respect your elders, but also call them on the fact that you were wrong about that. You know, like that, no, we were wrong about that, and we got to fix that going forward. Like, you just can't keep doing the same old things,
2: yes. And, um, it was paralleled nicely, I thought, by the kill the similar Killmonger scene where he's talking to his father. And to me, that one little scene between Michael B. Jordan and Sterling K. Brown was probably the best scene in the movie because you get a gamut of emotions. And it seems like, and I may be reading too much into it, that uh, Sterling K. Brown, uh, what was his name? Indoku? Yeah. In Jobu. In in seems to realize what he's done, like what he's wrought upon the world, or what he potentially has wrought upon the world. And it seems like that it's because we see him cry, right?
1: Yeah, he cries and like Michael B. Jordan, Eric, like that's one tear loose, but he sort of just slashes it away without ever acknowledging it and everything because, I mean, even he says like no tears for me, you know, Hmm, what have I done? Like, he, you know, he, I think he realizes again in that afterlife position that, hey, I, you know, maybe, maybe we could have done this differently. Maybe I should have said, look, can we at least like help some of these people out in some of these places or something? But he. He believed that the system was so rigged, even in his own world, that there's no way that you know they were going to try to affect the system that was rigged against people in the outside world. So he just took matters in his own hands, which is that that's a you know a good example of how things get screwed up anyway, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And it's an, an interesting example of uh, it's a it's an interesting fictionalized example of real world African politics.
1: Oh, exactly. Uh, they have all these diamond mines and whatnot, right? And you know, but they won't share the wealth with their own people around them. You
2: know? Well, just look at South Africa. It's it's one of the better off African countries, and yet they've got essentially concentration camps set up for refugees that are that that are streaming into South Africa. If you've ever watched District Nine. You know all the scenes where people are talking about how bad the aliens are and how they need to send them back, et cetera, et cetera. That is, that is real life. The filmmakers of that flick went out onto the streets of Johannesburg and asked real South Africans what they thought about the refugees that were coming into their country from nations worse off than South Africa. Right. So even in, even in like Africa, there's. You know, there's not much of let's help out each, each other. other. It's they, it's yeah, very much a
1: they don't want to because again the internal politics. Oh, well, look, we we live in you know one of the richest countries in the world, right? I mean, there's no doubt as much as much as we talk about the national debt and all this. America has resources and riches beyond the pale compared to some of the places around the world that we send aid to, and. You know, it's like when we say here, but like, well, what we got? We got failing schools and hungry people in America. What about them? Well, what do you want me to do? You know, I, you can throw money at something and it still doesn't fix it, right? Like, that's not the answer. It's also not the answer to go bulldoze it to the ground or to arm the people, the people with plowshares with guns all of a sudden, because that that doesn't. Yeah, we learned that even. the
2: hard way. We learned that the hard way in Afghanistan.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, so it doesn't always work. So it's it's how do you – it's, again, that balance of diplomacy and movement and, again, having both sides willing to want to move. That's the thing is everybody's got to want to make the change if you're going to enact change. That's what's here.
2: Yeah, it's, it's weird that we are talking this much about how a Marvel movie – reflects real world situations when you've got uh you know magic elixirs giving people superpowers and spears that also shoot lasers and beads that control holograms and and all that kind of stuff but to me yeah. that's the biggest that's like the biggest accomplishment uh, for that, that Ryan Coogler is able to do, he's able to take a a big dumb action movie and to provide it with a, a secret skeleton of substance.
1: Well, but then now, now we're getting into what I wanted to ask though: how deep really is this? Because I think I've boiled this movie down in its simplicity several times, and I. I don't know. I mean, how, how deep is the message here? Really?
2: I, I don't think it's, it's not deep when you, if you compare it to like Fruitvale Station.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's real life and, and tragic. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or even like Creed, it's not as deep as those, but like by Marvel movie standards, Oh, this thing is roots.
1: Oh my goodness, yes! I mean, yeah, it's not even close. There hasn't been a Marvel movie that tried to touch on any of this, even close to it. Like they, they haven't. The only that, one that tried to do any. And that emotional to me is like the core at all was the first Guardians movie, you know. But the the rest of them haven't been about it,
2: emotional or like, it, yeah, either emotional core or like trying to say something about society at large or the world at large. In, in any kind of real way, uh, and to me, this is one of the things that Marvel has had to do as they've gotten deeper into their slate of movies is to try to push both in terms of genre and in terms of subject matter, which is why you're getting things with gray areas like, like for example, the Civil War storyline, or this particular movie, or even like Winter Soldier. You're getting you're getting at least an attempt to have these movies say something in a yeah. secret way that, that won't turn off the audience.
1: I'm glad you, you brought that up because to me, like Winter Soldier is the best of any of these movies by far. Like it's got the most to say. It's It'd got a, up until this movie has got a lot of, of emotional stakes. It's got you know it's got all the crazy action you want, but it's got a real story about brothers, really. And how Mm -hmm. far you will let that tie go to try and save someone's soul. Because that's really what Cap and Bucky are. You know, and it's what Cap's story is. And, Mm And that's why that movie works so well. And the fact that it breeds into conflict, into civil war, and Bucky himself says, I'm the reason we're doing this. I gotta be taken offline. You gotta shut down Robocop for a while until you can unscramble me because the world's not ready for this technology, Miss Utani. You know, I mean, that's, that to me gives that character arc and things like that. And this movie wants to have that too. And you get it with Killmonger. You know, the thing that, that I, that I just, again, I go to the end here and with T'Challa, his first thing is like, Okay, I mean, I get it. You want to make good where Eric Stevens is from. No one there knows him. There's no monuments to him in Oakland, California. So the fact that you go and buy up a bunch of buildings and are gonna, you know, improve the community there, why didn't we see like the companion scene of that? And you know, that country we sit in the middle of that they don't know we exist, they're about to know we exist. You know, we're we're about to fix that. Like I needed that for the circle to be complete because I feel like I got that between winter soldier and civil war.
2: And I think that is going to come up more in in the inevitable Black Panther 2. I think that is it, – it's a satisfying movie. It feels like a fairly complete movie, but it is not a 100% complete movie. And I think that you're going to get – poor repercussions in the black Panther universe from these decisions that have been made.
1: Oh, by far. Cause I mean, you, you're about to open up the can. Well, it's going to be what the world found out when the Avengers really existed in Avengers up to that point, handfuls of people knew about any of these people. And then all of a sudden you've got a Norse God <laughs> chasing another one <laughs> on the like snakes of doom from transformers and star Wars movies, while a green monster (laughs) iron man, uh, a a girl with a couple of guns and a dude with a bunch of arrows (laughs) shoot them all down. I mean, the world got woke to that moment pretty fast in New York. And we saw the aftermath of that was, they were heroes, right? People talked about them and then they became like out of fashion. Like that was sort of the, the, you know, the, the turn of it. Right. So, this is the same thing again. It's now the world's going to know. Cause that's that line in the United nations is like, what can a bunch of sheep herders and fishermen do for the world? And you just get that little smile on Bozeman's face. Again, the emotion on his face, the man just does it. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like that was a great, like mic drop line. And then you go to the cool songs.
2: Yeah. And it, it it's, it is one of the things that Marvel struggled to handle. Uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of the movies I've seen. I think all of them except for Dr. Strange. I'm waiting for that one for some reason. Um, well, I haven't had two and a half hours to sit down and watch it yet. But, uh, one of the things they haven't done well is to explore the ramifications of these world shattering events so much. You're getting a little bit of it. in like, for example, the daredevil TV show and some of the street level Marvel stuff, uh, but there hasn't been necessarily as much attention paid to look, uh, this guy has a nuclear reactor stuck in his chest. This guy turns into a giant green murder monster. You know, this secret spy organization has a flying aircraft carrier ship, you know, super soldiers are real things that happen, you know, Tony Stark built all these murder robots. Uh, you know, these are things that, that happened that you don't see the repercussions of. And I think this is the first step to kind of seeing possibly more of the effect that this kind of thing has on the world at large. Cause the, that much vibranium is going to essentially revolutionize the Marvel world
1: earth you i mean you would think it would change everything right if if it's as a that's the thing about vibranium that i also don't have quite a grasp on and maybe i missed it you can help me with it so it's a meteorite that like infects everything and because of the meteorites capabilities mixed with the earth is what it makes the elements the way it does. I mean, it creates that flower and all this other stuff, but is it like reproducing or is it, is there an actual like finite amount of it that we can measure?
2: Uh, My understanding is that there is a finite amount, but that Wakanda is sitting on the entire entirety of that finite amount. It's essentially like how China is sitting on the world's biggest supply of rare earth elements that are needed to make things like computer chips. Uh, I mean, there are other places in the world that have those, but China has them the most accessible and they are the most willing to pollute themselves to extract them. So that Mm -hmm. is basically uh, the rare earth elements are some of the most important and expensive elements on the, on the face of the earth. There's a finite amount of them. Uh, they are incredibly valuable. And this is essentially the Marvel universe version of those rare earth elements because vibranium is incredibly strong and incredibly light. As we've seen with cat shield, that thing should weigh 50 pounds and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has uh, conductive properties. It's it's yeah, it's basically like super
1: platinum I mean essentially it's like this it's some kind of super element I mean I get that right but like what I was getting at was if there's a finite amount to it then that's actually um the that could be part of the argument that T'Challa and T'Chaka and other Wakandans can make to like look we'd love to go out and solve all the world's problems but that's not how this works and even if it did it would be a poor idea because when this is gone it's gone so, what you know, we, we can't do that. So maybe we shouldn't hoard it. But what all are you going to do with it anyway? We made weapons out of it to defend ourselves in case you ever got wise to what we had going on here. Imagine if, you know, again, imagine if Hitler got a hold of some vibranium, you know, what that would have been like, right? Like, you can imagine the disaster that it could be. So I I get, like, Wakandan's reason. That's why I say, like, if that could have been more established, this movie didn't need to be longer and maybe it is in the part that got cut, but that's still something you should have left in, is what I'm saying to Ryan Coogler. Like, that would have been good to know, because it makes that point defensible, because the way this movie sets up is that their their position is no longer defensible, and it actually is, if there's a reason for it, but it's never explained. But they're also
2: sitting on an entire mountain of vibranium, and they have haven't even scratched the surface of... The resources that they have, which is, supports the argument of, it, it's, it's essentially as if all the, the Saudi Arabian, the Arabian Peninsula countries decided, Hey, we've got hundreds of millions of gallons of oil. Let's, let's release it in trickles and drabs. Yeah. And keep it all for ourselves and, and not share it with bidder, the
1: world. Right. Well, and look, not even
2: sell it to the highest bidder.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're going to sit. Well, look, it's what it's what uh, people have been saying about what's up in Alaska for years. Right. America's sitting on all of this. Why do we, why don't we tap our own wells? Well, because they're not. We don't think they're going to last forever. Maybe that's it. Maybe like we needed Wakandans to argue about like, well, you know, we really can't affect the amount of uh, vibranium left. To people going like, no, vibranium is going away faster than you think. Like we needed Wakandan Al Gore to do the inconvenient uh, vibranium truth, <laughs> and then then all of this sort of you know we could have had that debate too, uh, but well, then the movie would have been entirely too long and would have been. 800 times more boring. Um, but, but, I mean, again, though you see what I'm saying, though, right? Like, that would have added to the drama. This movie's full of drama anyway. That would have just strengthened it, like, in my mind.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get your point.
1: Um, I mean, I'm saying all of this because and I, I, also I, feel, want- I feel like this movie is getting a lot of praise heaped on it, and I'm heaping praise on it, but I want to say that there's, it's not perfect. Like, there's, there's holes in this that need to be explored, and that's one. You, you were saying, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's wanted to get that out.
2: And I think that this is, I really think that they're setting up something for the second and the third movie should Ryan Coogler come back to it. I don't think that we're done with Wakanda and internal politics uh, by a long shot. I think that there's going to be more of this.
1: And if you believe what I believe, based on the Infinity War trailer, that that's going to be a central part of it. Like, they're going to go, okay, we're not going to be known to the world. And the first thing we get involved in an intergalactic war, hmm, maybe we won't be in the world anymore. I mean, I could see the reaction and, to that, and, right?
2: And you still have, like, the Jabari tribe, who yeah, you, seem very much <laughs> opposed to... Anything there. Okay, let me
1: ask you this, because like we've laid it out. Like they save him basically because he spared the king's life. He's like, I can kill you, but I don't want to. Tap out. He taps out, he lets him go. Right. So when they find when one of his people finds him down by the river and brings him up, they're like, you know what, we'll keep him alive. One of his people will come looking for him. We've got a reason to kill this guy. We owed him one. Or I owed him one. Now that's done. But he wants nothing to do with any of this. And which is again like the, the Han Solo like, I'm going away with my reward until I'm not you know, moment of this. And I knew they were going to show up in that big fight. So they show up in the big fight and all this. And I'm like, why did they get back involved in this? Cause it looks like he's taking Kalua's spot on the inner phantom menace council or what the hell ever that is at the end.
2: I think it, it may have something to do with the fact that, um, T'Challa and his delegation are the first time that Wakanda's leader has come to the Jabari and this may be kind of a signal that the Jabari are ready to enter into Wakanda's internal politics again, or maybe it's just a sign that, you know, once everything is even, Mbaku wants to get some of that sweet vibranium money.
1: Maybe that's it. I mean, because it does look like he's hanging around; like he doesn't go back. Uh, you know, we, I don't know what happens to Kaluya. He doesn't get killed, but presume he's, you know, he he loses his job at the very least you know, and is, is replaced. So I'm like, so now the Jabari are over the army or something. I think
2: that you, I think that Jabari have just taken a seat at the table. Okay. Well I don't think you, they're
1: that again. that had been great to like, glad to have you at the table, brother. And then do the cool handshake thing. Like I would have been down for that. Like we couldn't do that. Like we, we had to do this. Other but, job, I,
2: but but I also don't think, I also think that him just being there is all you needed to, to have to, to signify that. Because yeah. I don't think M'Baku is, you know, they're even now. But I don't think M'Baku is 100% on board with King T'Challa.
1: Well, and that's the thing is what, I, what I'm what i seeing is T'Challa and his inner circle are going around and now, you know, doing this. We're going to be open Wakanda thing. You know, he's he's doing this. I, and I what I needed to see was like, what do the people back home think about that? Is everybody on board for that now or are they like, eh? I mean, I imagine that that, again, they're saving that for parts two and three and and whatever to come. But I think we're going to get some of that and a little bit of that, at least in Infinity War, because like Infinity War comes out in May. This is February, (laughs) by the way. These answers are not far around the corner if I'm right. Um, They want not have all of it played out, but they had to know. I mean, these these directors talk about how they they will talk to each other and they communicate them together. These movies are not made like you do whatever you want and I'll do whatever I want. They're all strung together somehow.
2: And I think this is like going to tie into the phase four of the Marvel Universe. Right. As well.
1: I I want to talk about one more thing before we wrap it up here. Whatever, I do want to talk about the action scenes in this, okay? Because I I picked on it earlier, and I'm going to pick on it again. I don't think they look that good. I mean, maybe I'm just desensitized to too much CGI and all this, but every time they started all really fighting, particularly when the two Black Panthers go to each other, it's like watching a video game that I can't play. You know, and it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe I've just seen it too much, but let me give you a comparison, okay? I saw the Pure Flix Samson movie you know, about a week after I saw black Panther and not, not even close on the same level. And I know the Samson story well enough to know like where they, you know, cut corners on it and stuff. But the basics of that, like when, you know, some of the big feats Samson has when he kills all these, you know, Philistine army with the jawbone of a donkey, you see that fight in that movie. And it is incredible because every bit of it is practical. There's no mm. CGI to it. It's guys flying around. It's rocks. It's out in the desert. It looks amazing. And and it looks amazing in comparison to this when I see Black Panther has this cool power in his suit where basically the more you hit it, it stores up energy that can then like do a blast of energy out of it. So all these people pile on him and then he blows them all off of him. Samson does the same thing, just you know, with the power of God or whatever. So, But it looks so much better in that cheap Samson movie than it did in this $200 million Marvel movie. And I was like, man, I just wish, and I don't know how you'd do it, but even in a movie like this we couldn't have got some more practical effects. Like the fight between him and Eric takes place in a universe where neither actor is there. And it just it just I don't know it saddens me a little bit that it's just all so just it's just computer now. It's all it is.
2: Yeah, I would have uh, preferred something a little more practical myself, but everything up until the the final Black Panther versus Black Panther fight I think is pretty good. Uh, you're, you're right. I'm not a big fan of the giant rhinoceri, If only because if you chase a rhinoceros in a jeep for like 15 minutes, it'll fall over dead from a heart attack.
1: Wow, I so, did not know that.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so well, maybe these
1: are Wakandan rhinos though, and they got some of that vibranian heart stuff going on.
2: Well, that is, that is part of it because they did say it mutated the plants and the animals, and I think yeah. you're gonna and I, and those didn't look like your bog standard rhinoceri.
1: No. That the, I can't find those down at the zoo. So,
2: even before they're like covered in vibranium, they yeah, look, Yeah, I'm
1: talking about t- just when we see them different. earlier when there's like petting one. I'm like, that, that thing, that looks like something out of Jurassic Park. So, but it wasn't really there. They were just petting air. That's the other thing. I'm like, me and poor Stan Winston. I don't know he's dead, but you know, gosh. You know, I mean, he just made some incredible stuff that we just don't do anymore. And it's, uh, I, I, I'm being old. I'm being an old man yelling at a cloud. I realize that, you know, but I, some of this, like I wish, could have been a little more practical. I wish the what what I would have really loved was that the Black Panther suit somehow or another both fail or cancel each other out, or you know Sherry turns them both off, and Warmonger and T'Challa just have to fight each other. Like that, that would have been cool. Yeah. And if T'Challa had gotten the upper hand on him, that would have been that would have been I don't know would have meant something. It would have been neat to see those two guys. Well, go at each other.
2: But that's that's exactly how the fight happened. Because the the, the the maglev train thing that they fell on, those sound dampener looking deals, nullify the effects of vibranium, which is why he's able to stab him to death at the end.
1: Right, right. No, I, I get that that's thematically what happens. I'm talking about like as an action scene, those suits stop working and those two guys in a non-computer generated place have to go at each other the way they're doing on those cliffs. You know, like oh, that, so okay, I get, it, the, I get it. The the fight scenes before were the the challenge fight scenes are—I mean, I know they're shot at like in a fountain in Atlanta or whatever, but like they're two guys going at each other in a physical environment with nothing else but so themselves. So they should have pulled
2: the pulled the helmets off.
1: Yeah, if they could have pulled the helmets off and pulled somehow or another pulled the the Black Panther magic out of both of them. I don't know how you do that, get a shaman, I don't know, call Willow, you know, from, from Sunnydale to do it for you. But you pull that out of them and they just have to go mono and mono. That would have been cooler to see. And I'm would have. i saying I would have liked that more than the Frogger on steroids that we got at the end of this movie.
2: Yeah, the, the final fight was the least satisfying part of it.
1: Yeah, the third act in this movie is incredibly not satisfying. Like, it, everything builds I, I up like to the, the moment that he takes control. And then after that, it's it's just a speed race to the end.
2: I did like the uh, some of the individual fights that you get in the big brawl. Uh,
1: like,
2: I like the part where um, Killmonger squares off against the uh, Grace Jones guards.
1: Yes. That's that one was good. pretty good. It, again, Kugler knows how to shoot this. Have you seen Creed? That looks like no other Rocky movie because he had a genius idea about how to shoot that in one shot with a camera moving around the guys. Like, he, like a bird's eye view of watching a fight. And it was it was amazing. It looks awesome. It's the part of it that really holds up in the fight scenes. And some of these fight scenes look great. But everybody's holding like plastic CGI crap. to fight with. And I just, I kind of just want everybody to throw all that stuff down and just go at it. Just go at it one time. Just... You know, you could even give Killmonger another damn catch for Let's do, let's do it old school, son. You know, and just, just go at it. Like we did on the playground in Oakland, you know, whatever. Like, I would have enjoyed that more than what I got to see. What, I mean, I knew it was all leading up to he's going to somehow or another wait to the right moment to stab him when the sound dampeners are on or whatever. Like, you know, that's coming from a hundred miles. But that's the thing, though, is like, usually that would be the end of the villain. He dies because he removes that from himself and bleeds to death because he has this great line about like burying me at sea with my ancestors who jumped off the slave ships because they knew that was better than than being held captive because I'm not going to jail, basically. And I was like, what a what a damn hard way to go out. But for this guy, I mean, it makes total sense because as intelligent and gifted as he is he's so hardened against everything that he's hell bent on Wakanda burning down. And when he fails that kill me.
2: Yeah, that's, um, it was kind of nice to see him just face his death so directly or to basically cause his own death. So directly. Um, and I think that is the only way I don't think this is a character who would reform. I don't think there's a way you can Bucky him.
1: No, and and you're right. And I think that's why that Bucky scene's in there. It's setting up another movie, too. But I think that's in there to show us the contrast. We talked about this way back when we reviewed Heat, Me, You, and Kurt. And we talked about that showdown between Pacino and and De Niro at the end of that when Pacino mm-hmm. shoots him. It was spoiler alert <laughs> for a 20-something-year-old movie. Pacino shoots him twice in the chest, and De Niro says, I told you I was never going back. And, like, they shake hands as De Niro dies, Right. And, and I'm like, but yeah. that was, there was no way that guy was going out. Cause he says it earlier in the movie. He's like, I ain't, I'm not going back to jail. You know, it's like, you'll have to kill me cause I'm not going back to prison. And that's pretty much what this guy said too. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be prison, you know, and again, he's been trained to, if, if you're a SEAL or you're a CIA operative and you're caught, you take that pill or you're like, kill me. I ain't telling you nothing, you know, and, cause that's what you're supposed to do. So he goes out the way he's supposed to. Uh, I didn't want him to come back. I mean, he's a great character, but he, he's not someone that wanted redemption. That's the difference between him and Bucky, too. Part of Bucky got tapped into by Cap. He's still human. He's, they're still good in him, you know, Vader style. So he wanted, mm-hmm. he wanted to be taken offline until they could fix him. This guy just wanted to watch the world burn. Now I've mixed up like everything together and we're all confused. So. <laughs> I have a dream yeah. of seeing you at a cafe. So, There's, there's <laughs> me in a bad accent. There we go. So.
2: All right, now now we're even.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think Chadwick's a much better actor. So. <laughs> I'm just going to say that.
2: I just thought you were making fun of my bad Donald Trump from earlier.
1: No, no. Uh, actually, your Trump was pretty good. So. <laughs> say, you know, you know what Matthew you were Tommy, doing was so. a good Alec Baldwin doing Trump. That's what you were doing. So, I
2: mean, that's what I was going for, because I don't listen to actual Trump.
1: <laughs> well, neither does anyone else, by the way, including the Russians. So everybody let it go. So, but anyway, that's, that's enough politics for one day. So, Well, uh, you got anything else to add before we wrap it up here, Ron?
2: Wakanda forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clear eyes, full of hearts. You can't. Wakanda, so that's what I wanted Eric to say before he died, but I didn't get that. So, Well, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts and popcorn ratings, so what are yours for Black Panther?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with a large popcorn. Uh, You're right, it's not a perfect movie. I think I liked it a little bit more than you did. Uh, I can see a lot of the things that they were trying to do. Uh, I really appreciate Ryan Coogler as a director and I appreciate the fact that he's got a different take on the Marvel movie from the ones we've seen before. And as I've said in the podcast, this is how Marvel kind of keeps their formula fresh, but without deviating from the Marvel formula. Uh, this one is, is smart for the comic book genre. I think it's really well acted. I, I even you know Chadwick Boseman is handicapped as he is by the accent. I think he does a great job. The secondary characters are some of my favorite in the Marvel Universe. Uh, Shuri is going to be a breakout star. Uh, like Is going to be a breakout star character. I'm already looking forward to her first meeting with Tony Stark. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I like M'Baku. And I think that he is going to possibly have a lot to talk about with Captain America since they're both kind of old school guys. Uh, (laughs) I I like, I like the movie as a standalone flick and I think it's going to integrate into the greater Marvel universe in an interesting way. Uh, And it is a fascinating social phenomenon because Black Panther is doing what George Lucas tried to do with red tails. George Lucas wanted to make a 1940s war movie propaganda flick for a black audience that didn't get those in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, Ryan Coogler is trying to do a superhero movie for the black audience without alienating the white audience, and I think he's been wildly successful at that, judging from both critical reception and the box office praise. So, I'm gonna give it a large popcorn. I was very satisfied by it, and I would like to go back four seconds, and I hope that Ryan Kugler does come back four seconds because he's very, he seems very thoughtful about what movies he will and won't do because he turned down the chance to do a Creed 2. Uh, and I know that if Marvel tries to put him in a situation that he doesn't want to be in. He'll walk away from that without thinking twice.
1: I want to say I know I've been critical of a lot of things in this movie, and it's really been purposeful because I felt like no one was asking questions, and they needed to be asked. And I was just going to be the jerk that asked them. That was pretty much it. I had a blast watching this movie. I really did. I I'm, I want to go see it again in theaters, and I caught it in a two D this time. I want to go to see it in the big D or you know three D or something because I think it would look amazing at that. I had a lot of fun with it in the theater. When I walked away from it, I made myself sit and try to think about. All the things it was trying to say and did it say them right? What could it have done better and all that? And try to be critical about it. But that said, I had a blast with this movie. This movie's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun than most of them. I'm bored with Marvel movies. I've said it before. I have like marvel lash i just you know almost don't care about half of it anymore um and you know was really wondering like am i even going to bother with infinity war i'm just going to wait on that one until you know home video you know um i'm going to go see that now just because i know t'challa is going to be in it and some of his people are going to be in it it's going to be great uh at least what they're doing is going to be really good i think and i um I can't wait to see what they do with this next. I hope Coogler's involved too. I think he does great work. He's always done interesting. I've seen all three of his films. They're all very interesting and very different from each other. I'm curious to see what he does next outside of this, too. I'll watch Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman read the phone book. All right. In fact, I would love to team them those two up in like a buddy comedy and just see what happens. Because I think it would be good. They have good on-screen chemistry. But and we, We've we talked about them, but I need to say it again. The female cast in this, though, steals this thing. Steals it for me. They are the most fun characters to be around. I, I don't want them to get their own spinoff movies. I just am glad to see them are going to be a part of the main dish going forward. And I, I dug this. This is large popcorn for sure. It's not perfect. It's not the greatest movie in the history of all time or anything like that. But it's a lot of fun. Even if you don't care about Marvel movies and you don't care about all the politics and all the stuff it's trying to say, you just want to see a really smart action movie with some grit to it. Go see this. Yeah, it turns into a CGI fest at the end. That bothers me because again, I'm an old man yelling at a cloud. Maybe it doesn't bother you, but the story is totally digestible and a lot of fun. So I'm definitely down for, for more of this. If this is what they've got going and I'll, I, with you, I like the way Marvel can throw us a swerve every now and then and give us something different. They did that with Thor Ragnarok. Those other two Thor movies take themselves way too seriously. Thor Ragnarok took nothing seriously and was a blast for it. Now it doesn't hold up as well. It's kind of goofy, but it was a lot of fun because it was different. So I hope the end of phase three into phase four here for Marvel brings us more interesting things. That's all I can ask it to be at this point anymore, right? Is be interesting. So I'm going to join you in that large popcorn too. You know, I'm looking forward to see what happens next again. Just want to say thanks to everyone. And thanks to my co-hosts and partners in crime on this. And, Um, Just really appreciate all the support. You've been listening to Filmstrip.
0: Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.